It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest today is the co-founder of Gig Talent, a modern talent collective connecting best-in-class HR consultants and leadership coaches with forward-thinking organizations. She's been published in Forbes and Thrive Global, and her first book, Designing Exceptional Organizational Cultures, was released in February, and it quickly became Amazon's number one new HR release. She's a military spouse, an entrepreneur, and a self-described recovering HR executive. She is Hema Crockett. Thank you so much for being here, Hema. Well, thank you, Matt. Yes, recovering is an understatement some days, right? <laughs> I'm sure you feel that way. I'm sure you got some stories to tell, but we won't, uh, we won't start you with those stories. I know that you and I had a conversation and I knew I had to get you on the show. We were talking all about culture. You have such a depth of experience working in and around the area of talent and leadership as I love. And so I wanted to start us off by asking you about this term culture. It's a little bit ambiguous. I find when I'm talking about it, it means different things to different people. So maybe you can get us started. How would you define or describe an organization's culture? Yeah, I think it's such a great place to start, actually, this discussion, because you're right. Everybody has a completely different definition of what culture is. And many people think it's ping pong tables in the break room or kegs in the kitchen. You know, and I hate to be the one to break break the bad news here, but it is none of those things. <laughs> um, and the way I define culture and the way we define culture, actually, in the book that you had mentioned, is really looking at it based at this intersection of values, actions, and behaviors, right? And so thinking about it as the answer to the question, what is it like to work there? And we've asked that question of others, especially of those people in our networks who we think work at really cool and big name companies. And I know we've been asked that question as well, whether it's by candidates we're interviewing or just others who wanna know what it's like to work at our company. But the words we use to describe the answer to that question, that is culture. Mm. Let's talk about values first. So value yeah. comes down. I know a lot of companies do work uh, trying to clarify and define their values, make it. What's the best process to go through to sort of define what your values are all about? Yeah, you know, a lot of times people think, especially in small companies, that whatever the founder or co-founder's values are, those are the values of the company. And the truth is that may be where it starts, absolutely. And then as the company starts to grow and more people come in and we start to really see that culture that is created, again, whether it's intentional or not, there is always a culture that's created. It's time to revisit what those values look like. And contrary to popular belief, it's not the executive team sitting in a room behind closed doors coming up with words that they want to represent the organization. It's actually a much more collaborative event or process. And what we like to do is really have it done as focus groups as well. We want to hear from employees, right? How would they describe the culture? Because as they're describing culture, certain words are going to be triggered and those words eventually become your values. Mm. So we want to have it more as a company-wide exercise. And then before anything is set in stone with those values, leave them alone see how they actually feel over the course of the next week or two and come back to them every now and then. And then once you have those values solidified, pull that thread through everything else that you're doing in the organization, right? All the way through that employee experience from hiring to offboarding. 
Gotcha. And then does that thread also pull through the, the remaining two pil pillars that you just shared with us for when it comes to, to uh, defining culture? It absolutely does. I mean, it, it values really for us, the way that I view values is you use them as your anchors or your guideposts, right? Your decision-making, whether as an individual, how we use our individual values or as an organization, your decisions should really be made with those values in mind. Right. And so when you make decisions based on those values, your actions and behaviors follow suit as well. Uh, the, the common mistake or the common issue we tend to see are, are this, this whole notion of, of do as I say, not as I do, right, with certain leaders throughout the organization. And that really has to do with where that breakdown is occurring between values and, and the actual behaviors that are the result of those values. Yeah, some of the times I see is, is especially when you have a high performer who is in a, a unique role, could be a sales role, could be a, a seasoned leader, but their behavior is in a way that violates that value. That's that's a challenging situation, right? It's absolutely challenging. And what I would actually say is, are they really high performing? Uh, so I love that. Right? You, if you broaden the definition of performance more than just putting up a number or whatever it might be, now all yep. of a sudden performance, uh, if you broaden that definition, it, it does cast a different light, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And any organization that I was part of when I was still an in-house HR executive, we used values as one of our performance management metrics, right? It's not just about the numbers. It's not just about from a sales perspective, let's say what you're bringing in, or if you're a member of a non-sales team, what you've done in terms of meeting an objective is also how you've done those things. So if you want to truly be high performing, both have to come into account at the end of the day. Well, I know you're a military spouse and you know, myself also come from military background, there was yeah. not just talk about values, you know, you you were expected to live those values and you were taught how. And so I, I that's, that's really resonates with me. And I really, uh, I, but it is, it's so cool the way that you describe that. I just love, because it it's not something we always think about. We're tempted as business leaders to focus on the results, yeah. performance in a more traditional sense, like, are my, am I seeing uh, green lights on my dashboard versus like holistically? It's a lot more holistic, I think. As you're it's much more holistic. Absolutely. And I think we've been programmed, right, to look at those, those dashboard colors where green is all about the numbers. But there's just so much more than that at the end of the day. And, you know, there was a, a little quote that I had read recently about how metrics measure your work, not your worth. Mm. And so if we're really looking at high performance based on everything, this combined picture, it also does take into account self-care and mental health into that too, in order to step away to come back and be your best self at work. Yeah. And now more than ever, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you think about culture and have you seen in your work with, uh, with, with other organizations that they've started being more explicit about self-care and, and that type of thing in, in light of what we've been through in the last, you know, 18 months? Definitely. I think it's much more top of mind for people. I think we're starting to see a lot more of these mental health Fridays or mental health weeks, you know, these breaks that companies are really being intentional about giving. Um, what I would be interested to see is how that's actually playing out in the organization, because throughout the work that I've done with different companies as well, we even saw this with open PTO policies, right? Or these unlimited PTO policies where the time is available, but as a leader, what are you what are you telling your employees about that time? Are you really allowing them to unplug? And are you as well setting the tone? Are you unplugging during that time? So I'm glad that we're really at the point where we're having the discussion about the importance of mental health and as leaders giving our employees that space. But as leaders, are we walking that talk as well? 
Yeah. And I think even beyond walking the talk, that's kind of where it begins. But a lot of times you have to check in. Yeah. At my company that where I work, the predictive index, you know, we really have put a lot of emphasis on that. We train our leaders. You need to be transparent about like when you need a day and you take a day, don't be afraid to talk about that. That's not a sign of weakness. You got to recharge. Yeah. And when we have an unlimited paid time off policy, we had it before the pandemic. But what we found was that a lot of people still were not necessarily taking their time off the way that they they should. They were afraid of falling behind. They didn't want to let their teammates down. All great reasons, but they still needed to take the time. So we installed you know what we call guardrails. And so, for example, with one of the recent holidays, we said, you know what, we're shutting down Friday too. Monday was already an office day. Let's just shut it down because you kind of have to intervene sometimes when people, even though you open the door, if they don't walk through it, you know, you want to kind of bring that balance. It's absolutely true. And we have to build that habit, right? That muscle of it being okay. And the only way to do that sometimes is exactly what your company did, which I think is a great idea. You know, sometimes we have to step in, we have to, as you said, intervene in that, but there will come a point hopefully where it becomes second nature and where we're okay to talk about in the office, some of those mental health things, because it really is about bringing our whole selves to work. We don't just check that at the door. Right. right? I, I always find that term work-life balance where these days even work-life integration a little bit funny, to be honest, because there's really no such thing, right? We're, it, it's all seamless. We're yeah. just, we, we work, we have life as part of that. We don't check one at the door, depending on if we're going to work or coming home. We just continue on. No, and if it wasn't before, it certainly is now. You exactly. Know, it's it just it, it it pervades. You know, uh, definitely. So uh, you're blowing my mind. I love it because what you've you've expanded my my thinking here in two key ways. One is that I'm really happy to think about performance definition expanding to include values, but now also that organizations are starting to incorporate a more holistic approach to their employees and their mental health and other types of welfare. So it's like there's an opportunity to just pull your head up out of the the tactical, take a broader view, and all of a sudden you can still do right by your company's bottom line and strengthen that culture, but you do have to be deliberate about it. I wonder if we could shift gears real quick. So we started to talk a little bit about the role of the leader and uh, we talk about, about it relative to culture. I had the question for you, which was around organizational culture. I personally experienced, uh, you know, I mentioned in the military background, we spent a lot of time and energy on leadership development I'll just say that that wasn't always the case when I entered civilian world. Sometimes I got more of it than others. But my question to you is, is when you think about culture, how does it influence leadership development, expectations we set on leaders, you know, how we think about leadership? Yeah, I actually think it goes both ways here. I think the culture influences leadership development and expectations of leaders, but also leaders influence the culture. Right. So it's, it's almost a cycle to a degree. So really the first way, right, where culture is influencing leadership development and expectations on leaders. Um, think about the programs that organizations create. Right. So, for example, in a fast paced, innovative startup, they may their leadership development opportunities may really be around um, being part of new projects or how do you test hypotheses? You know, if you're in an innovative test type of an environment, how do you test those hypotheses? How do you create think tanks in your team? Right. So it's really based on what type of, to your point, what type of culture you have, and then coming up with these sort of not only expectations, but kind of rules of engagement, right? Which is really what, what values are to a degree. There are these rules of engagement, how we interact with one another. This works the same way. But I would say that the reverse of this, 
is much more important and much more um, convoluted and can be, which is really around how leaders influence the culture. And that's really because I think a lot of times as leaders, we don't realize how much we're being watched, that our team and those around us are really taking their cues from what we're doing, right? And so we are the ones who are influencing what is actually taking shape and what actions and behaviors our teams are doing at the end of the day. Um, they're making meaning of those things too, and they're kind of deciding what they can or can't do. Now, what I find really interesting about this, and anytime we talk about leaders, is I actually take a little bit broader definition of leader. I think it's irrelevant if you are, what your title is, what your role is, what your level is in an organization. I think anybody has the ability to show up as a leader um, in all of their actions and influence those around them, again, regardless of if they are actually managing people or not. And I agree with you 100% on that for sure. I really love that example. And you, you know, doggone it, you did it again, Hema. You, you expanded my thinking again. <laughs> so here I'm thinking about leadership is always a two-way street, right? It's not about you as the individual. It's also about the people that, you know, whether it's a peer, whether it's a person who reports directly to you. But I hadn't thought enough about how it's a two-way street also with the organization. Because when I, as a leader, when I'm in, embodying those values and I'm demonstrating and reinforcing them through my actions and my behaviors, now I'm strengthening that fabric, that, that leadership, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, that uh, cultural fabric within the organization. And that's my responsibility as a leader too. So it's not enough just to put up the results and make sure that the project's delivered on time or whatever it might be. It's like there's certain, I know in, in uh, psychology nerd terms, we talk about organizational citizenship behaviors, mm -hmm. et cetera. But I love thinking that to my leaders, I expect you in the same way that we had in the military, I expect you to strengthen the organization through your actions, you know, not just, uh, not just embody them for yourself. Absolutely, because if you think about it, leaders have the ability to completely derail the culture, right? If they're not self-aware, if they're not embodying those values, if they're doing one thing and saying another, then what is the message that's actually being conveyed, right? And so now we're starting to create this spiral of a, a toxic culture and the opposite of what the company may want to create with those leadership development programs and everything like that. Um, it's just, a, it's an interesting dichotomy if you really start to think about it and what that role of leader is at the center. And we're seeing it today, right? With the whole return to work. I've, I've had so many conversations with different leaders around how to return to the office and they want their employees in the office. And when I ask them, will you come back to the office? They hem and haw a little bit. There's this, well, I don't need to, I'm productive from my house. Well, that's great, but if you require your employees in that office and you're sitting at home, what message are you actually sending with that behavior? And what subculture are you then creating within your organization? And I've seen the opposite be true too, where you might find that your senior leaders for various reasons, maybe they're further along in their careers, their kids are a little bit older, they can afford to live closer to the office, they're happy to go back to the office. Yep. But then what message are they sending to people who have to commute a lot farther? who live with a roommate, early career people. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second, my boss is in the office. If I feel like I have to be, because they haven't made it clear that no, we have a value of wellness and flexibility and we expect you to take advantage of it, then you know it, it sends a signal whether you- it definitely does, or not. absolutely. And, and again, it's your action, right? You don't have to say anything. That behavior of sitting in the office at a 7 a.m. because you're so close, that sends a signal. Yeah, and I think one of the times that I see leaders struggle and it really becomes a crucible for them is when the organization's values are not directly aligned with something that 
the organization wants to accomplish. And now all of a sudden you have to come up with creative ways to lead your team, to not compromise your values. You can never compromise your values. But at the same time, sometimes you have to do things that are uh, in, in pursuit of the mission, but don't neatly fit within the values. And that's like, for example, there's a big deadline coming up and your company values uh, welfare and wellness and unlimited paid time off. How do you have the ability to say, I need us to come in and lean a little harder right now because I got to bring this project in, but we're going to make up for it. You're going to keep yourself whole on the other side. Whatever you can do to get creative to say, we're going through this one specific phase of a project, but that doesn't violate or change our value of making sure that you're okay, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's about really um, being open and communicating that, right? And defining how those values have to ebb and flow depending on what's happening in the organization at a particular time. So then you, you, you've expanded my thinking again when it comes to the two-way street of actually demonstrating values through my actions and my behaviors as a leader. Uh, that's something I'm doing. My question is then, is it ever appropriate for me to create a subculture on my team? I'm a leader, let's say, of a sales team uh, or an engineering team, and we're maybe we have some values that are, uh, they're not going to be diametrically opposed, but maybe there's some things we want to influence based on our job responsibilities and our function. Is that ever okay? Or should it just always be carbon copy of whatever the company at its highest level is trying to accomplish? You know what? Subcultures are always going to exist, whether a leader is intentional about creating one or not. So with that said, the leader actually does need to get a little bit intentional right? So that it doesn't completely go off the rails in that subculture. And I think that really starts with um, ensuring that the organization's values are embedded into that subculture. That again, decision-making is still being, you know, made with those values in mind. That the individuals are still understanding that what's important to the larger organization is important to this subculture as well. Now, that doesn't mean that there could be a few different definitions, right? Maybe in this group, self-care is a little bit different because maybe they're a hard-hitting sales organization. And so how you have to take care of yourself is a little bit different because you have certain sales cycles and certain goals that have to be met. And so there is an intentionality to it, um, but I don't necessarily think that a leader should set out to say, hey, team, we're going to purposely create a separate subculture. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes good sense. I wonder also, I haven't thought about this one as much. There's apparently a lot I don't think about. Um, but <laughs> I wonder what happens when, do you see sort of uh, subcultures emerge? Let's say like early career employees who hang out together after work or uh, everybody in the Scranton office, whatever it might be. <laughs> the subculture emerges that wasn't really directed or even intentional by a leader, but it just kind of happens. Does it, is that a thing too? Is that considered a subculture? It, I'm not sure it would fully be defined as a subculture necessarily, but I definitely see how it influences culture, right? Because if you have these groups of people they're going to kind of band together to a degree. And I'm sure their opinions and their outlooks and their expectations could be similar because they were drawn together for a reason in the first place. So then it's about the leadership really looking and understanding what some of those subgroups really versus subcultures are doing and thinking and making sure that they're part of any culture conversations that are taking place in the organization um, and that's just a part of making sure everybody feels included in the process, because again, culture is going to happen whether it's intentional or not. 
right? So why not actually put some effort behind it and include the people who are going to be really part of that culture and affecting that culture, which is all employees and not just the leadership team. Yeah, and that, that to me also strikes up the phrase, you know, pay me now, pay me later. If you're deliberate about making your hires and hiring for cultural fit, you don't have to worry about those subgroups as much because you know you've got the right people on the bus, to use the Jim Collins term, and you're you're able to to trust that they're going to represent the culture and uphold it, even when in subgroups, because they're natural, they're going to happen. These are people at work, right? It's going to happen. Absolutely. And I would even say that versus culture fit, I would say a values fit, right? Because I want people who are different. I want people who do think differently, but as long as we have the same values, we can have different opinions and it can be a really good discussion that can open everybody's eyes to different outlooks and different ways of doing things at the end of the day. It's anchoring on those values. That seems to be yep. where it's at. It is. It is. And, and honestly, when we talk about, you know, designing exceptional organizational cultures, we start with values for a reason, right? And if you think about your own personal journey, any time that you may have had to have this feeling of uneasiness or just, you know, that spidey sense is what we call it. Sometimes that's really stemming from values, right? And a values misalignment. And so if we're not listening to ourselves as people, then we're going to come up against a wall eventually. And we're not really taking care of ourselves. Organizations work the same way. If you really want a high performing organization, if you really want to be an employer of choice, the best way to do that is to make sure that what you are doing is anchored in those values, and then you can keep building from there. And if a pandemic hits or another crisis comes along that kind of shatters what was what you were doing, your values are still there to help you rebuild to something new. Wow. Well, one of my values, as you know, him on the show is to also have a little bit of fun. So <laughs> I took this that. opportunity to write a game for you. Uh, it's called Over Under. So right. I'm going to give you a fake statistic because I'm good at fake statistics. And you're going to tell me whether the real one is over, meaning it's higher than what I'm going to tell you, or whether it's under. It's actually lower. And these are all, all right. going to be sort of in around this world. So here's the first one. More than 20% of CEOs say corporate culture influences productivity, creativity, and growth rates. So 20% okay. do you think is over or under? I think it's, wait, so if I was to say over, it would mean, mean it was higher, higher than the 20%. So over. Yep, you're right. 50%, a full 50% of CEOs say that. Very, see, you're good at this. All right, how about the next one? 95% of HR leaders say their organization currently has an employee recognition program. Oh, under. It is under. Again, 80% <laughs> is the actual number, 80%, yeah. which is still higher than I had thought. 80% have an employee recognition program. So that's pretty cool. I'd be interested in the definition, though, of employee recognition program. Yeah, that one came from Business Wire. We can find that out, you know, but it's, it is true. <laughs> I suppose yeah. if you take a little bit of latitude, there's probably, that would boost that number a little bit. Definitely. But how about this next one? 15% of active job seekers cite company culture as their driving reason for looking for work. 15%. That's one of those tough ones, right? Um, I would say over. You are correct. 47%. Yeah. Think about that. Almost half of active job seekers are saying company culture at their current employer is their driving reason for looking for work. That means that if you skip steps that Hem has told you about today, <laughs> it's going to show up in your retention numbers, right? Because it if will. you're not deliberate about your culture or if you don't reinforce it, man, so, ooh, you get, don't get me going, Emma. Plus, you if get... you talk about things like pay and benefits, which are other reasons people are looking for jobs, those are actually related to culture. So if you start to increase some of those numbers or add them mm. together exponentially, we're probably talking about like a 85, 90 percent 
yeah. reason at the end of the day. It's culture. Yeah, even, even, more, even more striking. Yeah. All right, how about this one? 48% of employees believe a strong company culture is key to business success. I would say over. You're right again, 88%. <laughs> that is an overwhelming majority of employees. That's huge. Who say that uh, strong company culture is key to business success. I wonder how many of them say that they actually operate within one. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that's probably that's going to be a much different number. <laughs> All right, how about this one? I got a tricky one for you here. Seventy-five percent of job seekers turn down a job offer because of the company's culture. Over under. Under. It is under fifteen percent. Fifteen percent of job seekers have turned down a job offer because of the company's culture. That's still that's it's pretty a significant number, though. Actually, it is a significant number if you think about it. Because <laughs> think about this. They got a job offer. Yeah. Like that's not your full candidate funnel or pipeline. That is mm -mm. just people who you wanted them to come in. And they're like, no, I'm thinking no, because either you don't have a culture or I don't like the one you got. Right. Right. Something came out in that interview process for sure. Yeah. 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 All right. Last one. 23% of U.S. employees strongly agree that they can apply their organization's values to their work every day. Over. That is a trick question. It's actually exactly the number. Really? 23%. 23%. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't fair by me. 23% of U.S. employees agree they can apply their organization's values to their work every day. And you let us off with this saying values, action, behavior, they've got to be threaded together. 23% are able to meet that standard that you set out for us. So I think you need 67% of employees to call you tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. Let's call. Let's let's get this fixed you're, for everybody. Yeah. Hold <laughs> open up your calendar because you're gonna be getting a lot of calls. So awesome possum. Well, Hema, where can my listeners go to learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn at Hema Crockett. Uh, you can also go to our website, which is www.gogigtalent.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or social media as well for, for gig talent. And um, in terms of looking for designing exceptional organizational cultures, it's available on Amazon. And actually next month in August, we have a new book coming out called The Everyday Leader. And The Everyday Leader is about taking the 14 Marine Corps leadership traits and applying them to business and, and literally the everyday leader. And so that's also available for pre-sale on Amazon right now as well. You know, I'm gonna be asking for an autograph copy of that one. <laughs> of course. Well, I will include those links to Hema and to the resources that she referenced in the show notes and in the episode description. So you don't have to go any further than your podcast app to click over and follow her work. Hema, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so glad you were able to join. Thank you so much, Matt. What a great discussion. I loved it. Here are my tantalizing top three takeaways from today's show. One, culture is a team sport. Enlist your employees' help to define the culture since they're definitely going to be the ones who will reinforce it every day. Two, performance is purposeful. Traditional definitions of high performance tend to focus on results, but it's time to include upholding values in that definition as well. Three, you always have an audience. Your team is watching how you think, make decisions, and behave, and they make their own interpretations as a result. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people.
I think you need 67% of employees to call you tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. Let's call. Let's, let's get this fixed for everybody. Yeah. Hold, <laughs> open up your calendar. Cause you're going to get a lot of calls. 